Welcome to the Cornerstone Christian Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jim Tarr. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cccbasalt.com. It's so good to be back with all of you again today. Pam and I were on the front range as part of a conference and the Spirit of God was really moving and some great things happened. And last week they gave me um, a staff with my life first on it. We had visited that church. Pam and I celebrated our 35th wedding anniversary down in Colorado Springs. And then we said, let's go to this church. You don't even know it, but there's a church on the front range that supported us the, you know, throughout all of the challenges that we had with local government. And I'm jealous of this pastor because he was listed as the most dangerous pastor in Colorado. And oh, <laughs> would that all of the newspapers began to call out pastors, right? But anyway, God is so good and um, just living in the expectation. So they gave me this. We visited two months ago, and a man in the congregation asked me what my life verse was, and it's 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and unmovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord, for you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And so that was the scripture in my yearbook after I studied for the ministry. And then, um, you know, everything in my life after 20, it's a... 25 years, well, I didn't graduate from college 25 years ago, who am I fooling, right? But there were mile markers in my life that God is calling me back to to revisit. Even a church just within the last year invited me to come back. That scripture verse, when it's an invitation to come back and the reminder of the Lord. I also then was invited this week by our principal, Kathy, which I don't, I, I don't often share in in our chapel services, and she said, would you, would you lead our chapel service this week? And I said, yeah, sure. I said, what's the scripture verse for this week? And she said, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. And I'm like, why did I even have to ask, right? <laughs> so God watches over every detail of our lives. We're rejoicing in that. I want to be able to announce today, and I think that what we'd like to do is next week invite Jerry and his family, if they're all here, to come up, and we just want to pray for them. Jerry is going to come on full-time to our pastoral staff, and I am just rejoicing that he's coming, and I feel like the timing is right. All I heard this week was that he did an awesome job last Sunday, and I really appreciate that. So, Jerry, thank you. Jerry, is, Jerry went through the thick of it with us, came right before COVID, and then was setting up every Sunday for outdoor worship and just worked so hard for us. And he's one that you might not even know the lengths that were, uh, we had to go to have outdoor services. And Jerry was such a key part of that, and he never grumbled or complained. Well, God is so good, isn't he? Amen. Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. I want us to look together at this passage, and I believe that it is so relevant. Can I ask you as well today, please follow with me in the Word of God. I don't have anything to say. It's the, it's the Word of the Lord that is our strength and our shield. And so let's follow together, and I'll be going to different passages, and I'd love so much if you could, could follow along with me. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in a, in a seat ahead of you. And if you don't have one at home, take that Bible with you then. We'd love to bless your house with the word of God. So in 1 Peter chapter four says this, therefore since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose because the one who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human lust, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of indecent behavior, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and wanton idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them in the same excesses of debauchery. And they slander you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. 
For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as people, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. The end of all things is near. Therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint as each one has received a special gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the multifaceted grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking actual words of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would anoint your word and anoint our words to hear what the Spirit of God has to say. Spirit of God, you are welcome in this gathering. We pray that you would bring the revelation of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, that he and the Father would be the one who is seen today. Let everybody leave here today say, it is good to live for God. And I thank you, Lord God, for this opportunity just to focus our attention and look into the mirror of the word of God. And I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't be those who walk away changing nothing, but that we would look into the mirror, that we would change the things that need to change. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I'd like to remind everybody that Jesus here is writing to a suffering church who had already lost everything. They lost their home, their convenience, their livelihoods. They could no longer live in the city of Jerusalem, and they're scattered. But even worse than that, they had lost their friends. Some of them had begun to die. All this persecution happened to the believers in Jerusalem when they stoned Stephen. It says that after he was stoned, that then they began a, a great persecution against the believers. So could we for a moment put ourselves in the place of imagining a great persecution that would suddenly come against a church even such as ours? Can we feel what would happen in our relationships? Could, would it... Would it shake our faith? These are all things that we've got to look at. <clears throat> the Apostle Peter here just begins this section here by saying, arm yourselves. And I love those words right there because it's a reminder to all of us that we are in a battle. We are in a war, actually, and God would say for us to harm ourselves. Again, I've said it before, but God, you know, the whole saying that God, every church should be a hospital, and I get the mentality behind that, but if the church is just filled with sick people, then how are we gonna make any difference in the world? Listen, we should have a mash tent, right, to help those that are, that, those that are wounded, but we should be an army first and foremost. God would call us to put on the full armor of God. You and I are engaged in the battle with the captain of our salvation, the leader of this movement, the most amazing one that's ever walked among us, Jesus Christ himself. Arm yourself, the Lord says. I don't often refer to popular culture, but just amuse me for a moment when I think about some of the movies that I've seen in my lifetime. I couldn't help but think about the movie Braveheart and William Wallace. And I thought about the speech that he had given to encourage the troops. And he said this, I fight and you may die. Run and you'll live at least a while. Dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. For the sake of convenience, the convenience of this life and all that it has to offer? Are we willing to lay down our highest calling and our highest purpose at the risk of coming to the end of our lives and asking ourselves the question, why did I not fight for the cause of Christ? I also thought about that battle scene of Aragorn in front of the Black Gate. And he yelled to those who were about to fight, 
He said, hold your ground, hold your ground. Sons of Gondor, of Rohan, my brothers, I see in your eyes the same fear that would take the heart of me. A day may come when the courage of men fails, when we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship, but it is not this day an hour of wolves and shattered shields when the age of men comes crashing down. But it is not this day. This day we fight by all that you hold dear on this earth. I bid you stand, men of the West. Here is one who thought that there might come the day when trouble and evil would be unleashed upon the earth. But he knew that this was not that kind of day. And every believer knows that the end of times have been revealed to us when the nations and the world will be given itself over to evil. And yet that there should be the rallying cry of the body of Christ today that says, not in our day, not in this time. Don't concede any ground. And let's do it for everything that we hold dear. And what do we hold dear? We hold dear Jesus Christ himself. He is everything that we hold dear. He is our example. He modeled what it's like to suffer for the cause of God. And yet by being faithful through the suffering, what did he do? He obtained for himself a name that is above every other name, that at his name, every knee would bow and tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm not ready to say in light of the revelations and prophecies of the last day to say, let's just hunker down. Let's just preserve our little peaceful gatherings on Sunday mornings and do it at any expense. We have one thing to live for, and that one thing alone is Jesus Christ himself. Amen. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, says this, but we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus. Because of his suffering death, crowned with glory and honor. The Bible says there, because Jesus was willing to suffer for the Father's cause and didn't give himself to the pleasures and lusts of this world, that God crowned him with glory and honor. We follow one who has been crowned by God himself. Crowned, crowned not with the glory of this earth, and the honor that men can give, but he was crowned and honored at the hand of God. I am a follower of the one who has been crowned by the Lord. And it says that by the grace of God, he tasted death for everyone. My savior, Jesus Christ, the one I followed, tasted death for me so that I can be saved. Hebrews 2.10 says, for it was fitting for him for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory. It says it was perfectly fitting for Jesus to lay down his life in such a way, even though he was the one for whom everything has been created, the first of all mankind. He embraced the title of son of man, even though as well he was the son of God. He identified with us. And for him, all things were created. And then it's revealed again in 1 Peter that through him, all things were created. In John chapter 1, it says that by Jesus Christ, everything that was made was made by him. And it says it was for hit, fitting for him to fight the fight of faith to the point of death so that he might bring many sons, many daughters into the same place of Glory. Listen, we are not called to weakness. We are called to strength. We are called to follow in the path of the archagon, the champion of our faith, the beginner, the founder of it all. That's who you and I are, called to be the children of God. And it says, called so that he might bring many sons to glory to perfect the originator, the leader, the captain of their salvation. And he did it through his sufferings. Jesus didn't count any cost too high to pay in order to follow his father. And we share in his glory. Jesus is all that we hold dear. And the Bible says here, arm yourselves with the same purpose. When we got saved, we received the revelation that we exist for one reason and one reason alone, and that is to align ourselves with God's purpose and plan for everything that has been created. 
this passage in our text today says that the one who has suffered in this flesh has ceased from sin. I think that the problem with the American church today is that we avoided suffering at all costs. I believe that the problem with the Church of America today is that we hunkered down for peaceful folds while we laid down the mission that Christ called us to. I feel that it's time for the church to rise up, be the church that God has called us to be. I'm speaking to every man in this room, man. It's time for us to rise up and be the men that God's called us to be. I'm speaking to every woman here in this room, and I'm telling you, rise up and be the woman that God has called you to be. This is the day in which we live, and this is the hour in which we live. The Bible says this becomes more true because the coming of Christ is soon. And I thought about that this week because I've had people tell me my whole life, oh, Jesus isn't coming back. They thought that 2,000 years ago. Look at Peter. Peter wrote and said to the church, hey, he's coming soon. Well, that's such a naive understanding of the scriptures because I'm telling you this, that scripture was written as much for us today as it was for the believers back then. And the truth is this, is that we live in the day for the last 2,000 years. The church has been called to live in the understanding of the imminent return of Jesus Christ at any moment. The captain the one who will claim everything that is rightfully his. And he suffered. And the Bible says by the way that he suffered, he was perfected. Can you imagine that? Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God, was perfected because he was willing to embrace the suffering, which was a necessary cost to see sin defeated in this world. And so in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says this, Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, since we have the saints of old and every story in the Bible of all those who paid the price to follow God, and they are in the grandstand of heaven, and they're watching you and me to see how we're going to run in this day, the race that's ahead of us. It says this, since those witnesses are in the clouds, let's rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin which so easily tangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I think that this is another reminder here of this, is that God would tell us today, if we don't fight the battle that's within, we will never be qualified to fight the battle that's without. Listen, brothers and sisters, man, we have got to fight. The Bible says your flesh is at war with your spirit and your spirit is at war with your flesh. And we can never hope to be effective in this generation until we win the battle that is within ourselves. It says, lay aside those besetting sins and the things that entangle us and let's run with endurance. And it says here, again, a reminder, and keep your eyes on Jesus Why? He is everything that we hold dear. He is our greatest example. And it calls him the same thing again. He says, he's the originator and the perfecter of our faith. He is the Lord of hosts and the captain of the army. But for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He didn't care how much shame was upon him. He didn't care that lesser men came up to him and slapped his face and put a crown of thorns on him and mocked him as a king. He didn't care that people said, if you're truly the son of God, come down off the cross. He didn't care to be naked in front of the nation. It says he despised the shame. He didn't despise following God. He didn't despise himself. He despised the shame that mankind tried to put on him, the slander that came against him. But he had so broken the power of the opinion of men over his life by the things that he suffered that he could give himself wholly unto the Father. He kept the joy. And because of that, he is seated now at the right hand of the throne of God. And it says, consider him, Jesus, who endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Listen, these are people that had lost everything. And he says, there's only one way to not lose heart. And that's to keep your eyes on the captain and say, I will go to the same lengths that he did in order to be obedient to God. He endured hostility of sinners And he says this then, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding of blood in the striving against sin. 
Man, that word just challenges my heart so much. The writer of the book of Hebrews said, Jesus fought sin in this world to the point where he shed his own blood. And the writer of the book of Hebrews said, and none of you have fought the sin to the place where you would shed your blood. We just say, oh, but I prayed and asked God to deliver me. But that puts the burden of God, it puts the burden on God for our obedience. I would have obeyed if you had helped me. God would say to us, if you will obey me, I will help you. The burden doesn't rest upon him. And the Bible challenges us to this. Until we have fought against the war within to the point where we shed blood like Jesus did. We are without excuse in our current state. That's so challenging to me. He says this, you have forgotten the exhortation addressed to you as sons. See, this is a call to sonship, to daughtership. He said, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are punished by him. Oh, that's New Testament ter- teaching that, that we, we think it's only in the Old Testament. But the Bible is telling us here, when the heat is turned up, if we embrace the suffering and we don't go to the things of the flesh or into places of disobedience to alleviate the suffering, if we won't allow ourselves to do that, it's telling us that we are embracing what it means to be a child of God. That passage right there says that he who has suffered in his battle against sin has ceased from sin. I don't know, one might say today that sin has always been around, but the truth of the matter is, church, I'm I'm telling you something. We are heading into a day that I believe that the closer we get to the end of times, are are we gonna equip ourselves like men? Are we gonna equip ourselves like full-grown women who understand who they are in Christ? I think it's so important for us to understand this thing. Not to get off on a trail, but did you see that the FBI had a memo released that they need to be watching traditional Catholics? Did you see that? You saw that happen this week. Even in our own country, man, they are targeting Christians. You know why traditional Catholics? And that's even coming from the Pope down. Even the Pope is going after. Traditional Catholics continue their worship and their mass in in the Latin. But I'll tell you what the real problem of traditional Catholics is, is their stance on abortion and their stance on gender and sexuality. So the FBI sent out a memo that it's to be, they're to be watched. Are you one of those who stands for the life of the unborn? Are you one of those who stands for God's revelation of gender? Here, I'm not saying that to scare you, but I'm just saying, man, the church of Jesus Christ better rise up. And we better understand the day in which we live. Because the scriptures have told us this time and time again. And you know what? Will we cower in the face of adversity or will we grow stronger? In our text, in verse two, it says that we should live the rest of our time in the flesh no longer for human lust, but for the will of God. Look at that verse again, verse two. Live the rest of our time. Time, it's talking about time here. Live the rest of our time. Here's what it's talking about. From this moment on, we have the rest of our time. But then he also says, to live no longer for the lust of the flesh. That's the time that's gone before us. I would challenge this church today to understand that I believe that by the word of the Lord that he's bringing to us and delivering today, that today is a point of time for all of us. This is a time. And are we gonna deal with the question of what are we gonna do from here on and how are we gonna live in relationship to our past? I think that the Lord and the Spirit of God would say to us today, to every man and every woman that's here in this room, are we willing to say this? I will no longer live for the things I used to live for. By the grace of God, and only by the help of the Lord, but by our declaration of willingness today, are we willing to say, I will no longer be the man or the woman that I have been. I lived long enough 
being that person. I am building a milestone in my life today and saying, no longer. And from this time forward, I will live for God. From this time forward, I will be the man, I will be the woman that God has called me to be. I will lay down the invitation of this world that calls me to live according to the lust, the lust of the flesh of man. And I will live as Christ created me to be, a new creation. Not a living according to the flesh, but living according to the spirit. God calls us today and says, overcome the flesh to the point even that Jesus gave his example to the shedding of blood. Jesus did tell us, don't live like the Gentiles live. What are Gentiles? Jesus was speaking to Jews. Who were the Gentiles? The Gentiles were men and women who didn't have a covenant. And Jesus is saying, don't live like people who don't have a covenant with God. We have a covenant and an agreement with the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't live for, Jesus said, what will my roof like look like? What clothing am I gonna wear? What am I gonna eat? Or what am I going to drink? All issues to do with the body. But Jesus said that with this stewardship of our life, we're to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Yes. Lay down the old and pick up the new. Yes. The apostle Paul said, having done all, stand. Yes. Not having done all, sit not having done all cower, not having done all hide. He said, having done all stand. In 1 Corinthians 9, 26, the apostle Paul said this, I run in such a way as not to run aimlessly. I box in such a way as to avoid hitting air. But I strictly discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. The apostle Paul is saying this, I'm at the place right now. The man I used to be, the Apostle Peter, the man I used to be, no longer. From this time on, I'm gonna live for Christ. And he says, I wanna make sure that from now on, every swing lands. Yes. I want every swing to land. from this for the rest of time and no longer. In verse three, he says, for the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of indecent behavior, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and wanton idolatries. Peter, do you not understand that you're talking to people who lost everything to be followers of Jesus? And yet he wanted them to understand that to embrace the cost of following Christ is a lifelong embrace. Some victory in the past of standing up for Jesus Christ is not enough. We have to look forward to the future and we have to be engaged today. Today we need to be engaged. He says it's, it's enough time. It's sufficient. The way we lived for the flesh, we gave it enough. Didn't we give enough to the things of this world, having once met the dearest thing in our lives, Jesus Christ? Oh, we can't go past this without taking seriously the list that he gave us. He said to these Christians, stop drinking, stop acting like you used to act, the desires of those who are out of covenant with God. He said, you're living lewd lives. What does lewd mean? Well, lewd behavior is actually behavior that even in public, it's an embarrassment. The idea of lewd means to be given over to excesses of bodily urges and desires. It includes things like unfaithfulness to our marriages. Any brother or sister here is part of Cornerstone Christian School. If you're unfaithful to your marriage, God would say, I've given myself enough to that kind of lifestyle. From now on, it's gonna be something different. Looking at immoral things, which we carry the potential of it in our hands. That's lewd behavior. God is looking for men and women who say, enough of what I was. From now on, 
I'm this. Telling indecent jokes, talking about sexual exploits of the past, all of those are lewd living, lusting after anything that walks in a sexualized community. People can barely look at each other without wondering what they look like naked. I'm sorry to be so graphic, but that's where our culture has gone. And Jesus calls us upward and higher. It says, guard, Jesus said, watch what your eyes see. If your eye is unhealthy, the whole body will be filled with that darkness. Every thought will be geared towards those things. In the same way that Christ calls us to be all controlled by him, by his spirit, Satan calls us to be all controlled by the lust of our flesh. He mentions drunkenness. The book of Proverbs calls people heroes of strong drink. People who love to sit around and talk about, oh, he's so awesome, he got wasted on Friday night. Those are heroes of strong drink. You know what I'm tired of, honestly? I'm tired of going to funerals in the Roaring Fork Valley where some young man or some young woman lost their life because of the power of addiction. And then in those funeral services, everybody gets up and talks about what awesome times they've had partying. And I listen to them and I'm thinking, you're celebrating the destruction of this young man's life and remembering and making him a hero of strong drink. Do you not see what happened to him? Listen, we gotta hate this stuff. He says, put aside the carousing, the tomcatting, the one night stands. He says, there's a problem with drinking parties. But in our culture, to call someone a partier is actually a label to be bragging about. He says, they get involved in all kinds of idolatry, giving many places in their heart to things that where only God belongs. This is what is called the upward call in Christ Jesus. And it takes community and coming together in agreement that we won't live for such things. It doesn't mean that we point the finger at one another, but we're there to help each other. That comes out a little bit later. Listen, I am not putting you under the powerless shame and guilt that can come at self introspection but I am saying if we've made a truce with sin that God would say to us arm yourselves in verse 4 it says all this they're surprised that you do not run with them in the same excess of debauchery and they slander you but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead Man, we got saved. Some of us had different stories. But when you got saved, man, nobody understood. The moment you got saved, you said to dear friends and family members, I can't do that anymore. And they shook their head and they said, what on earth happened to them? They used to be so much fun. <laughs> Not only that, they take it to the next level. They slander you. Jesus said it would happen because men love darkness rather than light. And when you decide to light, rock in the light, the darkness hates where you're coming from. So look at that passage right here. We realize that the Bible would call us to not run with those we used to run with to not do the things we used to do because we understand that we can yoke ourselves to someone who's on the road to judgment. And we're to be yoked with those who are on the road to righteousness. It wasn't, it was very strategic of the enemy to label the church in such a way that we didn't have the right to gather. Why is that? because there's a yoke and a bond between you and me where we are determined that we are running together for a cause. The road is narrow, 
It's not broad, but we're not going to run to hell. We're going to run to heaven. We're not facing judgment. We're facing receiving the glory of the sons of God. We must run together. When you stumble, we pick you up. When we stumble, you pick us up. And that's exactly how it works. We're together in this fight against sin, you and me. We're together in it. None of us is perfect and none of us have gained the ultimate victory. But together we can present a perfect picture of who Jesus is. Don't be impressed, the Bible reminds us. One of my favorite Psalms, and I think you might do well to make it one of your favorites as well. Listen to what this man wrote. God certainly is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Amen to that. But then something happens in his heart after he says that. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death and their belly is fat. They are not in trouble like other people, nor are they tormented together with the rest of mankind. Arrogance is their necklace. The garment of violence covers them. Their eye bulges from fatness. The imaginations of their heart overflow. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They have set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue parades to the earth. This man, a man who wrote the Psalms, a godly man, who rejoiced and celebrated how good God is to the righteous said, but I almost in my personal life stumbled and my feet almost began to slip because I looked at how good the wicked have it. And I began to buy into their arrogance and began, I was tempted to value the things that they said are valuable. But then later on in that chapter, he says, when I thought of understanding this, it was troublesome in my sight until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived their end. He said, when I, when I came with like-minded, God-fearing, God-loving people, after a week of being tempted to value what the world values and to buy into their criticisms and slanders and their side eyes and side glances that they give us, he said. But I, I began to think, man, it would be so much easier to live like the people in this world. It feels like I'm swimming upstream all the time. And he says, I felt that way until I entered God's house. And then I remembered, what is the end of the prideful and of the arrogant? See, that was his saving grace. I perceive their end. You indeed put them on slippery ground. You drop them into ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors like a dream when one awakes, Lord. When stirred, you will despise their image. He just says there, man, they are living for temporal things. This is a valley of wealth no matter how wealthy you are in this valley. And I feel like that's why fear really gripped this valley is because some people in this life found everything that the world has to offer in materialism. And if they should die, they go the way of all men with nothing. But for us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we, we, we live according to the values of this world and come to the end of our lives and just look back and say, oh, if I had only lived more for Jesus. I don't want that to happen. Back to our text, it says, for the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as people, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. That's what's so amazing. That verse is so complicated and yet it's simple once you see it. 
The apostle Peter had already told us that when Jesus was crucified, he went into hell and he preached the victory to every power of darkness, especially those who had created the rebellion that caused the flood on the earth. Jesus preached to them his victory. But Jesus also taught us about another place that was called Hades, the storage place for all the dead before the coming of Christ. Did you know this, that those who died in faith in God, who lived for the Lord before the death of Christ, merely were placed in a place called the bosom of Abraham. They did not go to heaven. And actually, Jesus taught us by the death of Lazarus that those who dwelled in the bosom of Abraham under Abraham's faith could actually look across a great gulf and see those who had died having rejected the Lord. And that when Christ, after he died, he entered into that underworld called Hades, where all the souls of mankind up to that point were being stored. And you say, wait a minute, even Abraham didn't go to heaven? No, he did not. Why? Because the Messiah had not come. He was still under the covenant of the blood of goats and of bulls, which was not sufficient to take him into the glory of heaven. But when Christ died, what did Jesus do? He took care of first things first. He entered into hell, went to all the righteous people who had lived since the creation of Adam and Eve. He preached to them his victory. And the Bible says that he took those captive people in the bosom of Abraham and he took them captive to heaven. And it's to, we're told this, that when Jesus rose from the dead, did you know this, that you read your gospels, that some of those that Jesus got, got loose? And the people in Jerusalem were saying, we saw those who have died. Jesus showed the entire city of Jerusalem that his conquering death and the grave was not just for himself, but for all those of faith. So amazing. Verse six, let me read again. The gospel for this purpose was preached even to those who were dead, that though they were judged in the flesh as people. Well, what does that mean? Abraham died, but without the shedding of the blood of the Messiah. He was only looking forward to it. And because he died as a sinner like all of us, but he was a believer, he entered into the judgment. He was not allowed into the presence of God. He was judged in the flesh, but then Christ came so that he might live in the spirit according to the will of God. This is a call for us to understand everything that we live for. So in verse seven, it says, the end of all things is near, therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. So let's wrap up with this understanding. Why? Why? I look at all of you. I'm looking at your faces. Why would you want to live in contradiction to the values of this world? Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to swim upstream? Why would you want to suffer for living for Jesus Christ? Why would you want to do it? A world out there says, eat, drink, be merry, because tomorrow we might die. Why are you different? Why are you, you and I called to be something else? He says, we resist these things, the lust, the flesh, the things of this world. Why do we do it? He says, for one purpose, that you might be called to prayer. Yeah. What? Fight against the world so I can have a prayer life? Is that a good swap? <laughs> Think about it. What is this call that he has for us? Remember, this is written by a man that you can read about in the book of Matthew. And that Jesus, in the moment of the greatest battle against sin, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he began to sweat, great sweat drops of blood, he was fighting sin to the point of the shedding of blood. Nobody laid a hand on him. But as our sins were being placed upon him, the distress of the one who had never been sin became sin for us. And in that moment, Peter had an opportunity. He had a moment with God, a moment that was gonna come and a moment that would go that he could never be get back again. What was that moment? It was the Garden of Gethsemane where people, Jesus took three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and he told them, I'm giving you a special moment of prayer. We are in a moment where all of heaven is dependent upon what happens right now. All of heaven is waiting for the fullness 
fullness of what I'm going to do to be manifested upon the earth. I'm about to lay down my life. Peter, pray with me. And Jesus went off on his own. And he, Father, let this cup pass from me. Jesus needed him, really. If he hadn't prayed that, asked him to pray, it, it just revealed how much Jesus wanted him talking to the Father. Jesus comes back and finds him asleep. Couldn't you just, wait? Couldn't you just pray for an hour? An hour. Wake up. Jesus goes off alone to pray. Having told Peter, Peter, pray with me. You were called to pray. And then Jesus comes back to them, and you know the story. They were asleep again. Jesus wakes them up again, says, hey, this moment is about to pass, guys. You can miss your opportunity. And Jesus goes off alone to pray again. And then he comes back, and he finds them asleep and resting Behold, the hour is at hand, Jesus said. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's go. Behold, the one who is betraying me is near. Jesus just told his disciples, he just said to them, do you, guys, it's too late. Do you know what time it is? The evil has already come. It's here. They didn't even have, those words barely had a chance to get out of Jesus' mouth and then Jesus was betrayed with the kiss of Judas and, and Jesus, but, but Jesus, how did he find Peter? He found him sleeping and resting. And I think that the call for us today is that the Bible says here, fight this fight against sin because you've been called to pray. There's a moment I believe that has come to the last day's church and it's a call to prayer. And I pray that when Jesus comes back for me, for you, for the body of Christ, that he doesn't have to wake us up. Now's the time to wake up. Now's the time to be men and women of prayer. In Hebrews chapter five, verse seven, I think almost every Christian would be horribly uncomfortable if they saw the way Jesus prayed. In the days of his humanity, he offered up both prayers and pleas with loud cryings and tears to the one who's able to save him from death. Jesus prayed with loud cryings and tears. Yeah. Loud cryings and tears. If you had seen Jesus pray, he would have made all of us uncomfortable. Loud cryings and tears. I never experienced that till last Sunday morning, actually, I'm gonna tell you. And I'm not, I'm not saying I've risen to the level of Jesus, but they had honored Pam and I and they, they spoke over our lives and we sat down and I was just standing there and they entered into worship. And I'm just telling you so that you know where I'm coming from, but as I was standing there and we were praying for God to bring an awakening to America, to wake up America, to forgive us of our iniquities and sins, repenting of what the church has become, ineffective and powerless and satisfied to be inside our walls. And then as I was just standing there, I was in the front, I was in the second row, and a young man looked like just huge guy. They hadn't seen him for months, I found out later, came in the back door, and he just headed straight to the altar. The Spirit of God spoke to me and said, that broken man represents the broken hearts of the people of Colorado. And as I was there, I just fell down on my knees and I just began to pray. And a wailing came out of me, a travail. And I felt like something was being birthed. God wanted to birth something. When, have you been to Denver lately? Drive down Colfax Avenue and see the brokenness. Our alabaster cities don't gleam anymore. The gender brokenness. I mean, it's everywhere. 
the drug addiction. And the Apostle Paul says, you've been called to pray. And not just prayers. But we keep our eyes on Jesus who was wrecked with loud cryings and tears. Travailing over the lostness of people. And Jesus, listen church, there's something new that God wants to do in us. There's a level of being like Christ in our prayer lives. The Lord had given me a dream, and you all know about it, where there was a knock happened, and then I, not in the dream, I literally sat up. All of you were gold. That's what I was saying, all of you gold. And then bam, 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 and I woke up. And I won't go into this story because too many of you have heard it too many times. It's a reference to the scripture verse, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And that's not the door of people's hearts. He was talking about the last day's church that I'm standing at the door of the last day's church and I'm knocking. And his word to them is, repent and be zealous. And then he says, buy from me gold refined in the fire. Like, there's a gold that God has for this congregation, but it's refined in fire. And then he says, buy from me eye salve. No, he says next, he says, buy from me white robes that will cover your nakedness. And that is seek the repentance of a pure life. And then he says, Buy from me eye salve that you might see. And when I was sharing at the conference, I, I, I had mentioned that in 2020, the church, if they were willing, received eye salve that they might see. I mean, we were like wakened up to what's going on globally. I don't know, for me, it was a moment of eye salve. I saw the nature of the battle against the Messiah and, and against his people. And so... I said, I have the ISAP. Before that young man went and knelt at the altar, as I was standing there, a man with a prophetic gift came over and talked to me. And he said this to me. He said, because of the things that, that your church faced, you received the gold refined in the fire. And I had never made the connection. And the Spirit of God just said to me, Take the resistance of this world that comes against you with all of its emotions, with all of its push, and take that and push against the enemy through the power of prayer. Amen. Unleash the fire. Our battle's not against flesh and blood. Unleash the fire against the enemy. And God is saying to us today, wake up. Then to close, he says in verse eight, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint as each one has received the special gift employed in serving one another as good stewards of the multifaceted grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking actual words of God. Whoever serves is to do it as though he is serving by the very strength that God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Here in this verse, he says, above everything else, church, the last day's church, must seek the unconditional agape love of God from one another. And it says, because that kind of love will cover over a multitude of sins. What is he saying there? Oh, God, deliver this church from looking at each other without the ability to cover over each other's sins. I'm gonna tell you what the spirit of pointing our fingers at one another when one of us stumbles, I'll tell you, it's one thing and one thing alone. It's to keep us away from the unity that Jesus said, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything, I'll do it in your midst. Listen, what I'm talking about today is not a call to perfection. Yes, I, I did challenge us to get rid of the deeds of the flesh, but the, the Bible says, but in the meantime, there is the kind of love that is a God love that overcomes finger pointing and walks in unity. I'm not perfect, 
you're gonna have to accept that. You're not perfect. I'm gonna have to accept that. But in the meantime, we are fervent in our love. That word fervent actually refers to the stress that's placed on a muscle. It's actually the Greek word. He's saying, love until it burns. Love until your love muscle fails. Because you have pushed it so hard. Love each other fervently. Release hospitality. Everybody make everybody else feel as though they're at home. Not imitating one another. Because he says you all are multifaceted. You look at a diamond, one sparkle is red, one yellow, one green, one blue. And for the red shine to say, oh, you should be like the yellow or the yellow like the blue. God would say to all of us, each and every one of us reflects the glory of God. Some of us got saved when we, we were young and God preserved us from, from, from a lifestyle of what it says, debauchery. Some of us had got, gone into a life of debauchery and then we got saved and got serious with God with much later. But the truth of the matter is at the end of the day, we are all a multifaceted reflection of Jesus Christ forgiving one another so that we would pray that nobody in our church feels as though they're obligated to look like someone else. And no one in our church is required to do something the way someone else does it. But each one of us desiring to be like Jesus and we honor the difference in each other. Because he says ultimately, it's all for the glory of God through Jesus Christ. So as we look at this passage, right here, I'm just, I'm just challenging myself, challenging all of you. Let's determine in our hearts that for the sake of the cause, for the sake of the prayer, for the sake of the thing most dear to us, the one most dear to us, let's determine in our hearts. We're gonna put away everything that entangles us. We're gonna put aside everything that dulls our faith. We're gonna put everything aside that causes our love to grow cold. And we will set our hearts to be set ablaze by God that we in this day will live for him, that we would not be a church that when Jesus comes back and says, ah, oh, it's too late, the evil has come. I need you to wake up. I need you to wake up. Can we rally ourselves today? Can we rally ourselves together? Let's all stand up today. Father, I thank you, O oh God. I thank you, O oh Lord God, for a church that you are calling, Lord, to stand strong in the face of adversity, to, be, to walk in the righteousness and the holiness of God. Father, these scriptures were given to us. They were written to people who had gone through a hard time, but they were written to prepare us, O oh God. And I pray, Father, that we would we would live for you, Jesus, with all of our hearts. We live for you, Jesus, with all of our hearts. If there's anyone here today and you say to me, Pastor Jim, I, I'm not gonna look, it's between you and God, but I want you to make an expression before the Lord. If you're saying, I need this moment to make a no longer and from now on decision for the Lord. A no longer and from now on decision in my following Christ, if that's you, just nobody looking around. I want you to just raise up your hand before the Lord. I want you to raise up your hand and I just wanna pray over you and I pray for myself and I say, God, let it be that from now on, I've given enough time to apathy. I've given enough time to lukewarmness. I've given enough time to lust given enough time to sin. I've given enough time to unbelief. I've given enough time to unfaithfulness. From now on, God, from here on out, I commit myself to live for you no matter what the cost. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. With every head bowed and every eye closed, is there anyone here you've never met Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? But if you're saying to me today, I want today to be my day of salvation. I wanna be right with God today. If that's you, I'm not gonna give you a formula, but you might likely be saying, I don't even know how to come to Jesus. And I just wanna be able to lead you there. The Lord says, if you can believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. 
If you're saying, Pastor Jim, I want to be included in a closing prayer, giving my life to Christ, making him my Lord and Savior, receiving full forgiveness for all my past. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, just acknowledging I'm including myself in a closing prayer. And then if you raise your hand, I'm going to invite you, and I did it, to come forward here in front of the congregation. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. If you're here today, you won't have to say anything or do anything, but you're just willing to say, Jesus stood up for me, and I'm willing to stand up for him. I'm going to welcome you to come forward. And... Um, just want to pray a blessing over you. So if you're here today, you're not sure that you're saved, would you raise up your hand? Just saying today, I want to be right with God. Is there anyone here today? I'll give a moment. The Holy Spirit will tug your heart, saying this is what you need. God, I thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. I pray, Lord, in their going out and their coming in that these people would be blessed. Make them the salt of the earth, the light of the world, the joy of the Lord would be their strength. They would walk in peace. Peace. In Jesus' name, amen. There'll be folks here in the front if you need prayer for anything. They're here to minister to you, to pray with you. Give us a few minutes. Caden is gonna get changed and I'm gonna get changed and we're gonna baptize them outside in the front. All right, God bless you all, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This weekly podcast can be heard on our cccbasalt.com website or your favorite podcast platform. Just look for Sermon of the Week, Cornerstone Christian Center. If you would like to support our efforts financially, you have the opportunity to give at cccbasalt.com forward slash give.